Hi, I'm Greg Ulan with Reynolds and Reynolds, and this is Connected. Today, I'm really excited to get to talk with uh, a couple guys from Brightline Insurance Services, Andy Runyon, Vice President of Cyber Specialist, and Forrest Pace, Cyber Practice Leader. Um, we're going to dig into cybersecurity, cyber insurance, everything that goes into that. It's pretty timely right now uh, with a lot of the pieces going on in the, in the industry. So, gentlemen, thanks so much for, uh, for joining and hopping on and having a conversation. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, absolutely. So I mentioned it being timely, you know, just uh, a couple of weeks ago, Ferrari uh, announced they had a cyber breach. So some customer information was leaked there. Um, saw some some uh, banter from dealers, Toyota and Lexus. Uh, a couple of stores popped up on a uh, uh, basically a hacker forum uh, where their information was available for sale. These these types of incidents keep popping up. And then you layer in, you know, the FTC safeguards amendment rule uh, amendments or the, the rule amendments uh, that are coming into play in June. So cybersecurity is really top of mind for a lot of dealers out there. Um, so I wanted to wanted to ch uh, chat with you guys about the impact all this has on on your world and cyber insurance. So maybe we can start, um, you know, maybe Andy, you can you can take it to, to start and then Forrest, you can build off of it. But um, what are you seeing as far as activity specifically in, in automotive retail and dealerships? Um, are you seeing things pick up, uh, slow down and maybe also provide a little context around what you all do at Brightline? Yeah, um, thank you uh, for for having us today, man. We uh, um, just kind of in general um, activity uh, has has picked up definitely uh, since COVID in the small to medium sized business space. Um, when we talk about uh, COVID, we we don't really speak on COVID as a as a medical or a political term. We look at it kind of as a marker in time in the cyberspace. And prior to COVID, um, a lot of cyber uh, crime was focused around large. You know, Target, Equifax, uh, places like that. Uh, Post-COVID, um, we've seen a, a large, large increase in activity uh, in the small to medium business space, which will include uh, dealerships as well. Uh, we've seen ransoms over the last year. Um, we spend a lot of time working with the the CISA, uh, the Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency uh, in, in our region. And spent a lot of time with those guys in 22 running around uh, going, you know, hey, the average ransomware payment uh, is $258,000. I mean, I, I could say it in my sleep. Well, the latest stats came out from the end of Q4 2022. That number's up to $405,000 on the average wow. ransomware payment. So, uh, yeah, uh, activity uh, is, is is picking up. Uh, the claims severity is increasing. Um, and we're starting to see uh, claims affect uh, folks uh, on on Main Street, not just Fortune 500 companies, but uh, you know the the business owners that you know that you play your kids play ball with, that uh, you know you go to church with. I mean, those guys are getting hit as well. Uh, but at Forrest, anything anything to add to that? Yeah, I, I think the other piece that that we're we're seeing in the marketplace is the private sector is kind of adding their own teeth to where this doesn't become a mundane issue. Um, whether it's contractual requirements or individual industry requirements. Um, we're seeing, as you alluded to, the FTC requirements that are rolling out. Uh, it does seem to be in the automotive space that they, there has to be a quicker maturity cycle, right? And it's one where um, what worked in the past works up all the way until it doesn't. And I think that's where both insurance and technology can play a role in that for a while now, it feels like in the small to medium sized space, and I'm talking, I guess, under Fortune 1000, right? Like, and that's the medium space for us is let's go after these solid businesses that they almost know what they don't know. And I feel like that's constantly changing when we're talking about it, cyber insurance, because, you know, 10 years ago, uh, it was a completely different process. But now it feels like, okay, these acronyms are changing every day. I need MFA, I need EDR. And, and so it feels like the goalposts are moving, which, you know, in my prior life as an underwriter, I would say that's a great thing. I think the communication around that needs to be better. And so that's what we're seeing clients and specifically um, auto dealers kind of having those conversations about how can we mature our organization, not just from a insurance side or a technology side, but a compliance side to where we have a modular approach that we can actually grow into this as opposed to kind of being hamstrung by it. Yeah. And if you, yeah, if absolutely. you think about that, you know, from, from a, how it is viewed by the dealer owner, 
uh, that's massively changed over the last 20 years. We were talking about this offline uh, earlier. You know, uh, 20 years ago, your IT guy was the guy that made sure, you, you know, you changed your password and helped you fix your printer. And now he's the guy that safeguarding your your business from ransomware and wire transfer fraud. Like he is critical to the everyday success of, of the business. And uh, just how IT is viewed uh, by the dealer owner and, and the employees is massively different. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And when <clears throat> when you think about too, um, from an insurance provider's perspective, I'm interested, you know, from your perspective, on, on what this has meant over the last handful of years, because my, um, my perception is, and maybe this is the wrong one, so correct me if, if it's wrong, but my perception is, a lot of people got into the cyber insurance business, um, you know, five, maybe 10 years ago, um, but not too long ago. <clears throat> and the, the you mentioned kind of the the goalpost moving right and they were moving for everybody so there were frankly there were insurance companies that that took hits that their premiums weren't covering right and and so you look at that and then you over adjust the other way where premiums go super high to make sure your right. risks are covered um so so in today's world where are we on that spectrum so i'm assuming you know we started where premiums were too low right? Because yeah. we just didn't didn't know, didn't have the data. Jumped to a place where premiums were far too high because we were trying to really cover the risks. Right. Uh, where are we on that spectrum today? So I, I think you, you kind of set the scene really well because it helps with starting off with kind of just foundational principles is that cyber insurance is a very new product. And, uh, you know, going back to Y2K was kind of where the origins of cyber insurance started from. Um, but you have kind of two age old principles of insurance and the social good and security with the cyber side. But when it comes to what is needed to see that happen has been a completely different story. And I think what we've seen over the past kind of in the initial, let's say, 10 years ago, when there started to kind of be this influx of uh, new capital and resources, there were people that and, and positions and roles that did not exist 10 years ago that are now very, I mean, highly sought after roles. And, and we're talking about things like we now know what specific forensic, for, excuse me, forensic investigation types are and where specialties lie, ransom negotiators. Um, this wasn't necessarily a career path that existed 10 years ago. So I think part of it is it's understanding that we are, it is a new product. It is learning and that kind of annual renewal cycle of the goalpost moving is a function of the product learning and working. I think how that could be described, though, is that the carriers have done a decent job of pricing the risk, assuming that in cyber insurance is not the only uh, product, or they have to be, be very, very good at underwriting. There are very few that are great at underwriting. And so we're seeing kind of the capital feedback play, play out in that if we can invest in the insurance side, well, we're going to need more premium. There really hasn't been kind of a, a centered focus around, well, how can we actually address the risk to put out the fire instead of just kind of making sure there isn't as much uh, tender around to spark. Uh, so that's kind of been, at least in my, my perspective of how things are changing. Now, what that means in the real world and on the ground is that we are seeing more of these acronyms and there is a higher burden placed on clients that haven't really been exposed to this level of technical detail um, and, and what that really means is it means that you kind of need to be friends with your IT person. And a lot of times it's still the same guy 20 years ago who was changing passwords and he still does it. And he knows kind of the lay of the land um, or, or, or she's been there for 15 years and knows kind of where the credit reports are and how they're secured and knows all kind of the nuances of the system. But it takes knowing that process. And historically, or at least within the past five years as insurance the insurance side has caught up, there's been kind of a contentious relationship between the underwriters and the carriers who are like, okay, well, you didn't have this in place. We we have information that shows that this needs to be in place. And then the client goes, well, they go to their tech person and they say, okay, why don't we have this in place? We're being told that we need it in place. Meanwhile, the tech providers have been saying, yeah, we've been pushing MFA for the past three years to you guys. And, and so there is this kind of organizational disconnect that really has to kind of come at this from a enterprise savings standpoint in my mind and an enterprise resilience of it takes your risk manager and your IT person talking to each other 
And that could actually lend you savings in securing your organization and getting better premiums. Um, and, and so I, I don't think while the market is changing, I think we're starting to see some stability and that the kind of underwriting guidelines are changing, but they're not changing as rapidly as they were when everybody was kind of rushing to remote work. And so for me, I see it as a young industry that is stabilizing, but you have to kind of understand that by buying cyber insurance, it is a new product that is still evolving and learning uh, what those requirements look like. I guess the last piece to that is that, you know, understanding that property insurance, there is a kind of, the, the winds might blow harder and it, there might be more frequent storms and, and inclement weather uh, that causes damage, but they're not learning from the previous storm. Uh, within cyber insurance, there's a malicious actor on the other side most of the times, or sometimes it's an error, um, but everyone is constantly learning from the tools and tactics of how those things happen. And so um, it does provide kind of a unique situation and that, you, you know, carriers are contractually obligated, you know, with via the insurance policy um, and to pay where they, I believe that they kind of see it as their skin in the game. So it's a really unique situation playing out. And, and for us, it's really about trusting your technology providers and the team that you have around you. Yeah, no, and there's a lot there. So there's a couple of things I want to <laughs> I want to double click on. No, I appreciate it. It's good, good stuff. Uh, first of all, I just want to highlight the analogy that you made, uh, kind of comparing property insurance versus cyber insurance, and and the thought process. Of, I just want to call this out because I thought it was brilliant. The the next storm isn't learning from the previous storm, right? right. It, it it just happens. But you truly have a, a, an individual or, a, to be more clear, a, a large set of individuals mm -hmm. that are learning from every interaction and, and continuing to get smarter and smarter and find new ways to, to do damage, um, which right. is, uh, you know, kind of terrifying in a lot of ways. Yeah. And we try to walk that fine line of not, you know, wearing kind of the chicken little label, but also but, realizing yeah. that there's, there's certain things. And I think we're seeing it play out in ways that it's just like, OK, it's OK to accept that this feels abrupt. It is, you know, I mean, the Internet, as we know, it has been kind of only 40 years old. It let's let's just accept that it is a new kind of construct where, man, we can't quite comprehend how fast everyone is learning while we try to figure it out. Yeah. And, and yeah, the so unfamiliarity for business owners makes the, the underwriting process kind of contentious sometimes. So so one of the things that we always try to do is kind of go back to that property insurance allegory. And, and you know, I'll ask guys and I'll say, hey. You know, if you were applying for for property insurance, for building insurance, and you had no sprinklers, no exit signs, and the rafters were made out of matchsticks, would, would they give you fire insurance? Of course they would, right? There's no there's there's no chance they they they'd write you. So let's take that and let's apply that to cyber insurance. You don't have business class email. And I'm mean, specifically talking about dealerships and, and, you know, what we've seen at the ground level. You don't have business class email. You don't even know what MFA stands for, much less do you have it in place, right? Um, we might have firewalls. Let me run back and ask Jim Bob, who works on the floor, who kind of does our IT stuff, too, when he has time. Those are the, <laughs> the things that we're hearing at, at, I mean, we're talking about dealerships that run seven, eight, sometimes nine figures in revenue, why would you offer insurance? To, I mean, it's, it's, you know, I mean, it's, it really is apples and apples. People just don't see it that way because they don't understand the, the technicality of, of the IT structure. So trying to make that, that relation to property insurance makes people sometimes go, well, you know, yeah, if you put it like that, it does kind of make sense. Um, as far as the underwriting questions that are that are going into, uh, you know, being able to place coverage and get get decent coverage at all or, you know, be able to get a fair premium or, or a deductible that that you're OK with. Yeah. And, and I guess kind of piggyback on that just a little bit is that it's OK, too, I think, is the other message to the clients. Like it, you've obviously built a successful business to this, like by doing this and, and in this way. And, and I think it's showing them the resources that they have available um, because nowadays carriers often offer panel council firms, which means you get access to um, free breach coaching and things like that to where these resources can kind of, I guess, translate uh, and, and make it easier to set up 
the, the breaking case of emergency plan in the drawer that if these things happen, well, then Greg knows that he's on call on the third Saturday and or before holidays, we go through just make sure we're good. Like there's ways to build governance around kind of what where, where the starting point is. And a lot of these carriers are providing that support, but oftentimes there really isn't kind of a conversation around that because it's like, okay, well, premiums are going up. It stinks, but our commission is still our commission. Your risk is still your risk. So the prices are just going up. And, and I think it, for that to change, it takes everyone involved, the buyer, the broker, the, the insurer, uh, you know, the vendors, the technology providers, everyone has to be kind of it, not all equal voices, but they have to know what's going on uh, in order to kind of keep up. And so I, I think the overarching message to these companies that might feel like they're drowning a bit uh, is that it's okay, there are resources there, um, mm-hmm. but you know, again, kind of lean on your team to kind of help give you that perspective of where the blind spots may lie. Okay. No, that's good. <clears throat> that's good. And I, I want to dive in maybe, and if we can try to keep it as, as you know, um, uh, understandable as possible, just maybe a few of these topics and, and factors and resources. So you mentioned a couple of things, you, you both mentioned MFA, right? Multi-factor authentication, uh, business class email, having a firewall. Like there's a lot of these kind of factors that I, I assume go into um, even getting insurance, let alone pricing insurance, right? Yeah, so, right. so what are some of those? That maybe we can just educate. Um, and I, I, I think a vast majority, certainly of our audience, knows what these things are. Right. Um, but you know, for MFA as an example, right? A lot of our dealerships are going through the process of of enabling multi-factor authentication, and but it is a process, right? It's it's you have to decide to do it. You have to enroll users. They have to log in, create a pat. Like it, there's a step by step, and it doesn't take long. But when you multiply apply that by 90 or 200 or a thousand employees, it, it does take time. It's a commitment. Um, and so I guess, why is it so important? What does it actually do, right? What's, what's the benefit of something like uh, multi-factor authentication? Maybe we can start there. Yeah. I, I think of this category as a whole, kind of like your blindside tackle. Uh, you don't really think about them until you're getting sacked. And it, it's multi-factor authentication and there are ways and reports that can be generated that show the, the kind of uh, attacks they prevent. Same thing with antivirus software or even things like a SIM tool uh, to go over the uh, security incidents. Um, it, it really, what's being required, uh, I think, is an understanding that this is shifting. The, the MFA, like, I think the industry needs to do a better job of connecting it to why, like the claims, that the types of claims that it prevents, uh, the reasons why certain questions on the applications are asked. Uh, you know, the reason for backups is important because if you don't have to pay the ransom by the information that's encrypted, you know, it, it's pretty straightforward. If we could back up and have a verified access uh, at the time, then that prevents a good bit of claims. EDR is really like endpoint uh, detection is really important about preventing kind of the level up. So if someone compromises the account of a, a junior salesperson, it's making sure that they can't escalate their privileges to an account admin, to a system admin, and, and go through kind of the entire process of compromising an organization. Um, and, and so as we see these things maybe change or get reintroduced into the conversation, it's about understanding, well, here's how that shifts for me. And we've had really good, I, I like the clients that ask questions, right? They're like, well, uh, you know, you're sitting next to my tech guy. He's been our MSP for five years. Uh, our downtime is only an hour. Like, I really am not, a, like, I'm not too concerned about business interruption, right? And so it, it's being willing to have that conversation and know your organization to the point of where are your strengths, where are your weaknesses, because your strengths, you can kind of absorb that risk, right? That's why they're, they're, your defense is there. But the technology is that defense side, whereas the insurance is the risk transfer. It's where you might have your weak points that insurance can help you shore up. Um, and, and so for me, it's just understanding as these things pop up, does it actually mean something? Because it, it's not usually, you know, uh, Karen in accounting clicking the cat video. It's usually the CFO that's transferring the, you know, approving the wire transfer. And it's just kind of how we've seen it shift. And so uh, I think going into it, understanding that 
hey, we might need some funds transfer fraud coverage. It is understandable, but you have to have that conversation first to know the difference of what, what I'm even looking at. Yeah. And, yeah. and Greg, as the as the risk evolves, we've talked about the goalpost moving. I mean, I think we've mentioned that four or five times now. But as this claims data rolls in, you know, on the insurance side, uh, again, going back to property insurance, um, if a building is built out of X, uh, we see higher loss ratio with that type of building material than we do with building material type Y. Those same that, that same data is coming in on ransomware uh, now, and and we've seen from some carriers numbers that show you asked specifically about MFA that yeah. you know north of eighty percent of ransomware claims originate from accounts that do not have MFA on them. There's a pretty good reason to put MFA. You you can sit there and argue with tech people all day about, well, that does, I mean, all it is is the front end protection. Somebody in underwriting sitting there looking at their loss ratio from 2021 going, this is pretty important, right? Just from a statistical standpoint. Um, so there's that. And then the other part, too, with these FTC regs and, and, and kind of a, a caveat within this is that all MFA is not created equal. Um, if you think about, um, you know, from a compliance standpoint, knowing what employee was logged into what station at what time, even with MFA, there's the ability for folks to share passwords. And we've heard at the dealership level, you know, uh, John works at his station and logs in Monday through Friday and they bring in a 1099 guy on uh, Saturday and Sunday and he just logs in as John with John's password, right? Um, that's not good uh, from a compliance standpoint, if there were to be a breach that originated from that station. So uh, there's stuff out there. Uh, there's MFA out there that's available that's uh, related to biometrics uh, that we know exactly who has logged in at what station at what time and they logged out. So, you know, uh, number one, I mean, you can kind of see where MFA, uh, why that's important to underwriters right now, but then understand moving forward at the dealership level. Uh, just checking that box, it might help you get a better rate. It might help you be uh, compliant for that box, but it is not in even remotely in any sense of the word created equal. Sure. <clears throat> yeah. And when you think about MFA and you boil it down, I mean, really, it's it's protecting the credentials, right? I mean, that, that's Correct. essentially what it is. <clears throat> it's yep. uh, username, password, and then another way to identify that individual. So it's <clears throat> uh, at, a, at a very basic level, that's what you're trying to do is protect those credentials. And then, um, <clears throat> you know, you mentioned uh, EDR for us, right? So if, if something gets through and something happens, it isolates it to a workstation, essentially, right? Um, <clears throat> business business class email came up and i think there's a there's a lot to be said there tied in with firewall right because so many and, and you guys are probably far more can go a lot deeper than i can on this but um you know so many of these types of attacks originate with a click of an email right yeah, i mean right. realistically it's it's okay something got through which you know can happen yeah. um but then also like how do you how do you educate your employees on Okay, th this didn't come from inside the organization. Make sure that it's trusted. Um, you know, hover over the link before you click on it to make sure that you know it's going someplace valid. Um, th there's a lot of pieces to that puzzle, and and how do you, I guess, it, uh, two two part question: How does a, a dealership or any business uh, kind of implement that in a way that is uh, they can trust that it's being handled appropriately? Because there's still a human element to it, and also how do you evaluate that from an insurance perspective? You know, when when you say, okay, do you have these processes in place? Well, the second question is, are you following them? Right. So yeah. how <laughs> right. does that fall? Does that does that come into the evaluation too? Yeah, and it's it's an interesting kind of thing that they run into because with business class email. Um, really, it is such a, a big attack surface, right? Um, and the people that uh, salespeople, or maybe it's operations people, the people that live in email, um, really, I mean, kind of take it for face value, right? Like if I get an email in, and it says that you're from the bank, and I believe you, and you know, like it, people who live in email kind of just know that interface, and they, they aren't trained to look for certain behaviors. I think, some of the things, though, that you can do, and I might be taking a little bit outdated approach to it, but like um, early on in the industry, when I was at AIG, uh, there was a complimentary product, uh, an auto shun was what it was called. And it was just a box that basically whitelisted and blacklisted uh, the IP addresses that you worked with. And, and the way I think of it is, you know, you can take two approaches. You can whitelist 
the uh, application, softwares, employee, uh, all the users, like that's a very dedicated process. Or you can blacklist. Uh, you can, <clears throat> if you don't have any suppliers in Uzbekistan, then let's not allow IP addresses from Uzbekistan to touch our network. Um, you know, like there's some, I, I hate to oversimplify it, but there are things that we can do with, to put a, a fence around our perimeter of business operations. And a lot of that at times is just, you know, and, and it's tough to say adjust. I, I shouldn't use that term, but it's like, it does require turning on Microsoft Defender or, you know, actually activating the services that Microsoft provides is a good start. Uh, it's not free. Everyone is moving kind of, you alluded to it earlier, the per user per month subscription model because we're all moving to recurring revenue and you know it's gone so far as the oems are putting it into the cars which is an interesting concept uh but that's out of my lane i know that uh but it's really just understanding that that's the model that these, that everything is moving to and as we move from capex to opex it's knowing that okay this is kind of how that is shifting um especially given the rate environment, I think it's understandable that this model is playing out in a way to where, you know, technology spend is going to be worthwhile in the long run. Um, and so I don't know, Andy, if you had anything else to kind of add yeah, on. on on the business class email, I mean, just kind of making this stuff relatable, a couple of, of, of real, uh, I guess, field, uh, you know, boots on the ground stories. Um, had a, had a dealership uh, close to where we're located that that asked us to come in and consult. They knew that they didn't have cyber liability coverage that was appropriate. And what we see a lot, Greg, is we'll see dealerships that have cyber coverage, and it's through their dealer's open lot provider. But the cyber addendum is massively, massively gappy or underinsured from where they should be i mean we'll see we'll see folks running uh, like i said before eight nine figures in revenue and they'll have a cyber addendum that's two hundred fifty thousand dollars with no ransomware coverage or something like that so we were called in to consult and and you know we asked some kind of base level tech questions and uh email came up and it was name at blank dealership.com we see that a lot right Sure. And I was like, so you guys have got, y'all got business class email. He goes, oh no, that's just, it's set up to look that way, but it's, it's routing it to our personal Yahoo and Gmail accounts. And I was going, oh, wow. You know, and, and from that day moving forward, now I've dealt with a ton of dealerships. Uh, Miss Runyon got an early birthday present last Monday and uh, went and got her a new ride and had a question about financing after we got done. And, you know, text the guy and said, hey, will you send me your email? And it was so-and-so at, you know, I mean, JeterFan2 at, at you know, <laughs> gmail.com. And, 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 and you're going, to your point, because you mentioned this, you know, only trust stuff from with, within the, the organization. How do you know what's within the organization if everybody is, is you know, coming from a Gmail, Yahoo, you know, yeah. there that's, you know, we always tell people lead with the skeptical heart. Well, if you don't have business class email and you're getting emails from coworkers and you're sending stuff to finance from Gmail, Yahoo, how, how skeptical can you be? You know, um, you're, you're kind of desensitized to. Uh, those personal emails being involved in the part of the process. So that's, I mean, cleaning that up is, is something that I don't know, I guess heading into this was a big learning curve for me. Uh, I didn't, I just assumed because it was 2022 and these guys make a ton of money that that, that had been uh, kind of wrangled to this point. And there are a lot of dealerships that don't have uh, business class email. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. It's and it's interesting. So you had you had alluded to um, being underinsured and, and some of the things that aren't included in a policy. Right. Um, are there any other kind of low hanging fruit, we'll call it, that uh, dealers can look at and kind of look for and say, OK, it, these are some of the common things that aren't in a, a quote unquote standard policy or an add on policy, right. uh, an addendum policy. Um, are there any specific things, you know, maybe three, five, something that you see consistently that just aren't there? Yeah. So first, first of all, I would tell any dealership that's north of five million in revenue, you really need to look at the open market 
and and not and have a standalone cyber policy. Uh, the odds of you being covered in a breach by any type of cyber addendum, if you're over five mil in revenue, probably not very good. Um, the most common occurrences uh, that we see are uh, sublimits. And what that means is, um, you know, you'll have a, a typical and, and listen, I, I want for everybody out there in, in, in podcast land and connected land. I, I don't want I'm not throwing these these insurance carriers under the bus. They do a phenomenal job at wind and hail dealers, open lot, you know, property coverage, work comp, all that stuff. They just, for lack of a better word, suck at cyber. And that's just it just is what it is. Um they'll give you the warm and fuzzies with a top end aggregate number of a million. Right. And then we'll see the main one that I see is business income that sublimited out to $250,000. And man, <laughs> if you're down and you can't sell a car, I ask people all the time, you know, if you're a Dodge dealership, how likely is it that somebody else can go within 50 miles and go buy the same Dodge at another dealership? And most people are like, yeah, they can, you know, uh, we can get it from somewhere else. Well, you've lost other- that sale, you know, and, and that, that business income sublimit, I mean, you can blow through $250,000 in a day for some dealerships or two. Oh, days. I just said the, the ransomware average is what, 405,000. Like, I mean, yeah. so the kind of, thing is again like let's just take it for face value it is a added coverage to another type of policy and from the carrier's perspective they're kind of that's their way of dipping their toe in the water they don't fully quite know cyber or want to know cyber but they're like we will provide you 250 grand to cover what might come of that it will be carved back um but oftentimes uh there is kind of that growing phase of learning what we don't know um, and being able to show them that, okay, here's what this looks like in a full robust policy that includes uh, first party coverage, meaning that they will pay for the investigation, the data restoration to right. your your equipment, um, where legal and, and applicable, they will cover fines and penalties, uh, you know, as long as you have things that are in good shape. Like there are ways about this to where, um, it's not all about the liability. And I think coming at it and understanding that the actual business cost or the risk to the the enterprise is oftentimes on that first party side yeah. to where, you know, yes, uh, mailing a letter and notifying clients and setting up the, the uh, credit monitoring systems is not free, uh, but it's going to be the thousand dollar an hour specialists that are rebuilding your systems that are really going to kind of add up. And so making sure that your policy covers things like that, or, uh, you know, we alluded to it earlier, extensions for funds transfer fraud or social engineering. I mean, if someone is uh, acting as your dealership and using your letterhead, I mean, if they can go and right click on your website and there it says, uh, you know, for space dealership um, and they go and try to collect thirty five thousand dollars from. Uh, someone that, you know, all they have to do is find somebody that has that sticker on their car. Uh, It's not like too hard to make that leap. Um, Does your insurance policy cover it? These are questions to ask it because there are forms that cover it and there are others that don't. And I think where, again, having your people around you and kind of be that translator is carrier A will call that social engineering. Carrier B will include it in in different types of coverage sections. And so, uh, Sometimes there is coverage by what's not mentioned in an exclusion. There are a lot of different ways, and it's understandable why people are jaded with the insurance process. Um, But, and I think where we're seeing cyber grow into, it is the modern kind of sleep insurance. It's what DNO was referred to uh, back in the 90s. Uh, It allowed the leadership of the company to sleep well at night. Cyber insurance has, it gives you that access to the resources um, you know, when things go wrong, you establish privilege and you set certain you know processes in place. Um, it gives you that kind of credibility and maturity without necessarily having to wake up one day and invest hundreds of thousands of dollars into solutions. So I think understanding that it is a worthwhile process and what it actually means to the organization um, is more than an add-on. And I think, you know, 
uh, we've there are folks that value their time and hours. And so it's like you can quantify the value of that to the to the organization and show them here's actually where this is going to matter when Joe and the the parts bay, you know, uh, actually has been it's been all six of them using Joe's account information. Uh, but somebody downloaded a video. Right. And, and understanding that these things do happen. It's OK that they happen. But that's why we're here uh, and why the cyber insurance exists. And so relying on kind of a bare bones policy, um, you know, again, it, it's gotten you this far. Let's make sure that you get where you need to be. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's um, a matter of going beyond checking the box, I think, is kind of what you're getting to. Right. I mean, there's yeah. you, there's certain and, and even some manufacturers at this point are saying, hey, as part of your franchise agreement, you need to have cyber insurance. Um, right. But it's not necessarily prescriptive. Right. It's you need to have this thing. So in some instances, it's a checking the box exercise. But what you're saying is if, if you're going to pay for it, you may as well get something out of it. Right. I mean, don't just <laughs> exactly. don't just check that box to check the box. If you're going to pay for it, you, you may as well pay probably more. But you want to be covered on the back end. Well, yeah, you know, if, if the difference is, uh, call it five or 10 grand, uh, you know, if, if it's 45 for the cheaper option and 55 for the the more, I guess, expansive coverage, you know, that's a business decision. There are businesses yeah. that are like, hey, look, I'm good. Like, we're OK. We'll, we'll play that. But we've been fine so far. And they might be. That's the, the name of the game, I, I think. But you're right. It is kind of understanding that, you know, where the prices are originating from is kind of the mindset around those that are okay and those that take hits. What we've seen is that a lot more companies have taken hits than expected. And so, um, you know, it, it's worth, and it doesn't, I guess the other important piece here, it doesn't necessarily have to be the business owner. It doesn't have to be the head of ops. It can just be a facilitating the connection between say the insurance buyer and the IT person, right? Like those are professionals that the, there are on staff that can run with this from there. It doesn't require, you know, five hours and to, to handle it. Uh, let's just get after it and connect with the right folks. So I, I think there is a stigma around what's involved for cyber insurance. There's like, man, they're yeah. going to ask me technical questions that I don't know the technical answers to. So I'm just going to not do it. And that's one way to do it, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And put yourself, you know, put yourself in the shoes of the dealer, you know, facing these FTC regs, you know, that, I mean, a lot of unfamiliarity, a lot of uncomfortability around it. So this guy shows up on my front desk and he says, Hey, the government's imposing regs that haven't been there. You've got to do X, Y, Z to be compliant. So I align with this compliance group and they check all these boxes for me. They tell me I need to hire an IT guy for the first time in the history of our dealership. So I hire an IT guy. He tells me I need MFA. I need all stuff. I do all that. I've got a trusted insurance guy, right? And I've been with him on the property and casualty side forever. And I asked him, hey, do I have cyber? And he goes, yeah, you got cyber, right? So I've done all that stuff. I've done everything they told me to do. And then six months later, I have a ransomware event and I submit a claim and it comes back that I don't have full business income coverage. I have a ransomware sublimit and, uh, you know, breach response is not included. And I'm sitting here and I've done everything that everybody's told me to do. And I'm still looking at a $1.2 million loss sheet. How unbelievably frustrating would that be? It's like, why did I do what y'all told me to do? And the reality of it is, rewind back to the beginning of that process. You ask your insurance agent, do you have cyber insurance? And they said, yes dive deeper right there stop at that moment dive deeper and go out to the market man and pay three or four thousand dollars more for a little bit better coverage and and man it just it makes everything flow so much smoother on the back end yeah the, yeah. the clearest kind of example i've had and I, I sorry to harp on this point but it's like there was a, an event a couple of years ago pre-pandemic where the business was down for seven days and it wasn't for any technical issue. It was that there was a seven day hold for them to convert their currency to Bitcoin, right? Like these are things that, you know, you don't think about when you're trying to set up like your business and, you know, making sure that you're efficiently running your operation. Uh, you don't think, well, is there going to be a bank hold for four days for a wire transfer? You know, like it's just wild that the things that you run into through seeing it. And so, um, you know, I guess making sure that you have, again, the right people around you and the reassurance that it's more than a piece of paper. You're actually looking for kind of that guidance uh, in the times of need. And so basically, yes, go beyond just checking the box, uh, you know, is, is really the overarching theme here. 
Yeah, good, good. One one other thing I wanted to just pick your brains on quick too is is timing of all this. So um, my hypothesis is that uh, um, people aren't proactively reaching out and thinking about cyber insurance or cyber protection or cybersecurity or any of this stuff. Typically, um, my assumption is what what is experienced is either an event happens at a dealership or an event happens to uh, another business that they know, whether it be, you know, one of their friends in a 20 group or, or one of their other business owner friends and, and somebody close to a person experiences an event. Um, and that triggers, Oh boy, that could happen to me. I need to go do something now or worse. It does happen to you. It's like, Oh, I gotta, I gotta get moving on this. So it doesn't happen again. Right. So, um, that, that's a guess, but I'm curious, you know, what you are seeing as far as timing, is there a lot of proactive, uh, reaching out or is, is it, is it pretty reactive still? I would say on the whole, uh, it is, it is still pretty reactive. I mean, it takes, uh, it, there has been certain uh, a certain kind of just checking out of cyber breaches mattering and unless it is to someone you know um which is both a shame and an opportunity to kind of like be more proactive uh because really what we're seeing is that it does take someone in a small group someone in the kind of the the sharing sessions of like i'm not going to stand on the conference stage and share this story but I'll share a war story with some buddies kind of as we're learning and, and and sharing kind of best practices around this because I don't want people to go through what I went through, sort of. That's right. been the mentality around it. I think where we have seen or where it's been more interesting has been it's oftentimes not for the traditional reasons that insurance is jaded. It's not because the claim was denied. Like the carriers have been pretty good about standing by their forms um, which is a separate rabbit hole on its own. But I, I think, you know, where we've seen issues is that they, there has been no real communication from the carriers through the brokers to the clients and to the stakeholders within that client of what is accessible, what what is the value of this and how does it connect to the broader enterprise? And that might be a more esoteric exploration for the entity because it really closely tracks the technology side of how is your how is technology impacting your business but I, I think the focus is to not let it become mundane and and really kind of use it as a rallying point for the team to say okay look just like we decided to list cars online there is a process about learning what we don't know and this can actually help our, our organization become more efficient especially as buying habits change and the data collection around that changes or what the OEMs require changes. I mean, this has been kind of a slow moving uh, process that a lot of change is going to happen around it, but it's going to be very good to be in tune with the kind of technical processes uh, that it entails. Yeah. Yeah. And, and as a, as I mean, a child of two teachers, you know, how, how do we make this applicable? Like when should the conversation happen? Like if you're, if you're a dealership there yeah. out there and you're listening, like, when should I look at my cyber insurance? When should I dig into this? These FTC regs are going to require that they have a breach response plan. Um, yep. If you are out there in the podcast verse and you're a dealership and you have a written down personalized offline breach response plan, Pat yourself on the back, go have a beer, do whatever you do, because you are literally in the top 5%. Nobody has those right now, but that's going to be a requirement moving forward. And when you're doing that breach response plan, it's the, what do I do when the stuff hits the fan, right? So I've had a breach at the beginning of the breach response plan. We should have call my IT guy, call my insurance agent, make a claim, call my lawyer, right? Those three things should be at the beginning of the breach response plan. That's a great time to look at your cyber insurance plan because you're literally writing into that breach response plan. Who's my insurance guy? What's his number? This is the guy that I call when I have a claim. Time out. Let's hit the pause button. Let's evaluate this coverage. Let's evaluate the carrier. Let's look at the sublimits. Let's look at the exclusions. Let's take it out to market. Let's price it against Tokyo Marine, CFC, at bay, some of these private carriers. And let's look and see at our insurance program while we're looking at this breach response plan. Do we have coverage that meets our revenue exposure? Do we have sublimits that would put us in a bad position in the event of a claim? Do we understand what's even written on that policy? So if you want a, a functional, 
how to moving forward as you're meeting these regs and you get to your breach response plan phenomenal time to look at your insurance yeah i I would i would just kind of use that as a charge for the the 20 groups and small groups uh out there that it's it's kind of a good session to have with, with your folks of just you know the theme can be what happens when things go wrong it doesn't necessarily have to be around cyber but test your operations you know learn from each other around uh, how this works and you know build in exercises that kind of accomplish more than just an insurance goal right it's understanding what does your enterprise look like do you have it specific legal counsel are there forensic firms in the area that you want to contract with that would be covered under your insurance policy like it's good to kind of help your network and the businesses around you and understand uh, you know, how this all plays out because, I mean, quite honestly, you want that bat phone to be picked up uh, and, and you share this information uh, as best as you can. So uh, that would be kind of my charge is, is use it as an opportunity to learn more about your organization. No, that's great. That's great. Um, one, one last topic I want to just touch on, touch on briefly probably is when you think about policies, right? And you think about writing policies, some of the things that I've heard um, pretty recently actually is, um, you know, if you're a dealership or any business, frankly, but if you're a dealership and, and you work with certain IT companies, certain cybersecurity companies, it kind of um, <laughs> almost checks the box for the insurance agency as well, where it's like, you know what, um, we've seen a lot of dealerships that work with X, Y, or Z company, and uh, we know that they have their stuff together. Is is that... Um, is that pretty common, I guess, where, where you have a, a certain set of, of um, cybersecurity companies or IT management companies? It's like, all right, these guys know what they're doing. Yeah, I think it has been kind of the evolution of uh, our side of the world, right, is that you saw it like in the early days there were specific boutique firms. But then, I mean, Aon bought Stroh's Freeberg, uh, Marsh built out its operations. You know, the alphas really started building out their expertise on that side of the, the house and really what it boils down to is if we're going to talk about and sit in front of a client and say, you need MFA, the natural thing on our side to make our business more efficient is to say, let us help you with that. And right. and so for us, it's you're right. It is about finding the right partner, but it is also becoming commoditized in that, again, you're not trying to necessarily search for the mundane. So, you know, it, it is kind of. How do I provide value? But the whole kind of knock on insurance is that it's like, it feels kind of like a grab. And, and that is what we want to avoid. And that, you know, it's kind of understanding that, again, keeping it to property, it's like, okay, we'll give you a discount on your storm doors is really, you know, where we're coming at it from. It's not necessarily like, a, okay, let's just try to increase the recurring revenue per per user. It is just, how can we make the, the organization safer? And I think the other piece of that too that, that's nice is that you know uh, underwriter labs with, with you know electricity uh, was 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 kind of born out of the safety around that um, you know seatbelts came out of it uh, of different things around industry groups and standards so I think having that approach to it really makes it easier to work together and, and overcome um, but it is it, it's interesting how. Kind of, you're right. It has become such a just a, a main partnership uh, between tech and insurance. I, I don't think anyone would have predicted it uh, 15, 20 years ago. Yeah, and I assume there's there's discounts or at least lower premiums for you know when you have certain things in place with technology, right? I mean, it, it's you would not think. A, it's, so, and and there's you can't necessarily correlate it to a premium change, right? I mean, that's something that's kind of like. You don't want to guarantee. I, I feel like that's my like safe harbor disclosure is uh, <laughs> past performance does not uh, guarantee future results. But it is, uh, you know, I, I think it does make for a better story when, you know, if you implement mid-year, you can go back to the underwriters and say, not only do we have MFA and endpoint detection, but, you know, we completed your cloud supplemental and gave you background on this. Like, that helps. It uh, You know, there is no denying that good like there's a reason why uh progressive has the thing in your car or you know that you can put into your car and in the telematics around it so um i think it is moving in that direction it's just interesting to see how it evolves uh as you know i I hear guys that were doing 
uh, property and casualty insurance for a while asking me what what does MFA mean? And it's a fun kind of journey for us too. So uh, yeah, you're spot on there. And don't, and don't discount being able to get coverage period. You know, um, that's there, there is a carrier right now that's really hot in the auto dealer industry. Right. And they have certain underwriting guidelines. And if you want the best rate right now at the moment, it's kind of like you want to be with that carrier. Right. So you go in there, um, you know, looking not so hot you know you show up to the dance in sweatpants and a, uh and, and, and 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 a ball cap you know they're gonna go i don't know that we want to dance with you guys you know um so uh you know those controls yeah they can be tied to lower premiums but don't especially in a hard market with a lot of losses over the last three years don't discount being able to be able to have a seat at the table period no that's fair that's good good call out all right, well, gentlemen, could, uh, I could talk to you for for hours. Obviously, like we said at the beginning, this is a pretty deep topic, but uh, it's been been a really fun conversation. Kind of went all over the place. Um, anything that that we haven't touched on that you want to make sure we do before we hop off here? I I think we're good. I mean, just thank you for the time, and you know, happy to dive in whenever. Uh, it's one of those things that you know I'm sure we'll have an update soon. It won't take too long for, before something to change. But yeah. I, my just my advice would be, uh, you know again, kind of rely on the team around you and and don't be afraid to kind of uh, talk to those that you trust and uh, figure it out because it's not, it's not too, too hard. It is something though that can feel daunting. Yeah. And, and you see, you see my background there, uh, coaching, coaching background. And uh, you know, my, my coach advice would be, um, you know, don't, don't let past success um, kind of guide you into a false sense of security moving forward. You know, just because you've got a dealership that has been knocking down 80, $90 million in revenue and, and you're successful the way that you've always done business, um, man, don't let that lead you into a, a false sense of security moving forward. Uh, nobody likes these regulations. I get it. It feels like overreach. It feels like extra to do, but they, they come from somewhere, you know, uh, there's a reason that they're there. And, uh, I sat down, uh, we wrote a cyber insurance policy for a farmer. Farming's another industry that's really growing in the tech space. And I had a 78-year-old man look at me and say, thank you for coming by because I figure it ain't what I know. And again, I'm speaking in Southern, you know, it ain't what I know that's going to get me. It's what I don't know that's going to get me. Um, And you talk about a, a guy that had had a ton of success but acknowledge that the goalposts are moving going forward. Uh, don't let that past success blind you to, to what you need to do in, in 2023. Great takeaway. Great takeaway. Well, uh, Andy Runyon, Forrest Pace from Brightline Insurance Services. Really appreciate all your time and, and chatting today. And I uh, hope, uh, hope we can catch up again soon. That's like a plan. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Yes, sir. All right. Have a great day. You too. Well, that was a really great conversation, a little long, but I hope you found it valuable. Uh, A lot of topics that just require some digging into. So really appreciate uh, Andy and Forrest from Brightline Insurance Services hopping on. Uh, And before we jump off, don't forget, you can watch or listen to all episodes of Connected on YouTube, Apple or Spotify podcasts. And make sure to hit subscribe so you're notified every other week when new episodes are released. Thanks so much. And we'll see you in two weeks.